thought he'd put a timer up here. Uh, good afternoon. So my name is Greg Lotain. And can I give you a couple first impressions? You three are really good, the singers. I mean, you guys are really great. There's only three of you up there, and it feels like more. And you guys do a great job. I feel very encouraged. And I just hope I can meet up to what you guys have already done. But I mean that sincerely. The other observation is, what a great building. Uh, we are in a Lutheran church building as well in the North region. And um, yours is bigger. And yours is more finished, if I can put it that way. It's beautiful. So I'm sure you're grateful that you have a, a place to meet, of course. I remember Joe Collins, we were on the phone for some reason, um, a while back, and he was telling me how he or you had found this place and what a real blessing it was that you guys were able to find it in Oxnard. And uh, so I'm really happy for you guys. So uh, I want to start, I'm going to introduce more about who I am and kind of my background and my family. You've kind of met my wife. Oh, the third observation. Thank you for your welcome. I feel welcome and you all have been very warm. So thank you for that. So um, I want to tell you a little story uh, to start off. Um, some years ago, I guess it's been um, about five I came home uh, from work one night, it was a Thursday night, and I was walking through the hallway and I came out of my bedroom and there was my teenage son, my younger son, Nathan, and he had blankets in his arms, pillows, butt up to his chin, and he's walking through the hallway and I said, oh, what are you doing? He said, and I kid you not, he said, I'm moving out. Um, now, he was not baptized yet. He had studied kind of on and off, maybe more off than on. Um, but he said, I'm moving out. And I'm thinking to myself, oh my goodness, my wife is about to hear this. And I remember we talked before, Nathan and I and Mom, a little bit about moving out one day. And I also said, you know, you're going to need to do a budget first. So you can see what you can afford and what we're going to pay because he was going to college at the same time. He was commuting to College of the Canyons. And I said, oh. And I, I was just as calm as this. And I said, when are you moving out? He said, tonight. And I said, I think you're going to need more than a couple blankets and a pillow. He says, well, you know, I'm working on that. So then his mom walks up and I know her. She was really good. She was calm, but I could see inside she was dying. Like, you're moving out? When are you moving out? Tonight? So, if you have kids, you're going to go through stuff like that, too. Um, it really worked out well for him in that, um, you know, he, he again was studying the Bible on and off. He was having some issues. Um, he moved up there. He was well taken care of in the teen ministry. He went to everything. He went to all the camps. Uh, but just the change of venue for him with new relationships, going up to College of the Canyons, moving in with brothers, and it just kind of took off, and then he became baptized. So um, that's kind of my lead-off story. I'll probably go back to that story um, in a minute. So, uh, can you guys believe that's a true story? But that, that's a true, I didn't embellish that at all. <laughs> so, um, just trying to uh, get this turned on. Give me one moment. Why is this not? Uh... It's on now. Okay, very good. So today I wanna to talk to you about walking powerfully with God. And I want to look at a few men, people in the Bible um, with you. And first, this is my family. So 
oh, I'm in there too. So I'm in the middle, and uh, far to the left is Nathan with his new wife, Ashley. They got married in June, first Denise. And then over to the right is my oldest son, who's 28 now? 29. 29. I keep missing it by a year. So, and that's his uh, wife, Courtney. So my oldest son on the right is profoundly deaf. So he's been deaf since he's been about one year old. And I'll tell you a little bit more about him in a few minutes. Um, so that, that's our family. And we have a great addition of two ladies. Because my wife had to live with three men all her life. And it took its toll. So there's the two boys. Again, Nathan on the left, Zachary on the right. So uh, let me just kind of give you some backstory because what, what I want to talk to you about today is just dealing with difficulties in life um, and that they help pave the way for you having a great relationship with God. We're going to look at some people in the Bible about this, but I want you to know that when I was about 31, um, we, had, we uh, were pregnant with Zachary, and uh, Denise woke up on January 1, the morning of 1990, and she was bleeding. And she was not due for at least another two months. And so she was bleeding bad enough to where I, I didn't even call the ambulance, I just, we threw her in the car and we drove to the hospital. And it was too late to stop the labor, so I watched my son be delivered by C-section um, at seven months. And so then he was in the hospital uh, two plus months in ICU. And uh, he nearly died uh, more than once. I remember once walking to the hospital one day and he was just gray. He was just, didn't have color, he was just gray. It's just something I remember I remember a lot about that time, but I remember how challenging this was. Um, now, back then, my wife and I uh, had just recently been baptized in the Washington, D.C. Church of Christ. So he's in a hospital in Fairfax, Virginia. My wife's practically living at the hospital. I still have to work, but we're coming in to see our son, trying to keep him alive. And they had to use an experimental drug on his lungs to get his lungs to develop. So my point is that there's some, that's been a challenge for us. Um, that was a challenge then to overcome um, because he actually had his hearing. And after about 10 months, we noticed something was wrong. He didn't seem to be responding say to my voice on the answering machines. Remember those old answering machines? You hit the button and then you hear your voice? And he'd turn around because he heard my voice. Now he wasn't turning around anymore. We tried, you know, banging pots and pans behind his head. He wouldn't turn around. Really loud. He wouldn't turn around. So we took him to our doctor and our doctor kind of looked at him and talked to us and he patted us on our head and said, you're just scared parents. Everything's fine. So we went home, took him back home. We felt better, but really shortly, you know, it's like, no, there's something wrong. So we then uh, talked to someone in Children's Hospital, and uh, they said, look, you're the parents. If you think something's wrong, then we need to check it out. So bring them on in. And so we brought him into Children's Hospital in Washington, D.C., and we really weren't expecting this, I guess. You're never expecting it. But, you know, they did these tests on him as a 10-month-old, I guess, roughly. And uh, they came out and told us that he doesn't have any hearing. Uh, he's lost his hearing along the way, we think related to the early birth. So, you know, our heads were just spinning. We were just walked to the car, we're sitting in shock and our heads are just spinning. And we're trying to figure out what to do next. You're kind of thinking about God. Where are you? Um, what do we do now? We had no idea. And um, 
So I wanted to give you that backdrop because I'm going to uh, revisit that in a minute. Um, the next slide is, um, I'm gonna mention Nathan again. Um, when he moved out, I mentioned he needed a budget. It was so funny because he's in the hallway and I say, did you do that budget? Because you really can't go until you figure out if you can afford this. And um, so here he is with his wife. But this is his budget. <laughs> she had like three, three lines and literally this was it. And it was on a crumpled piece of paper in his, from his room. But he, at least he had it. You know, if you know Nathan, it's like, oh, that's pretty good. You do have something written on a piece of paper, but there's not much on, him, on there. But at least he had his income and he had his rent. And I'm like, okay. And uh, this is how old he was when he left. No, but uh, that's him, no. He was 19 when that happened. So, um, you know, sometimes we can... Um, we can be afraid of, you know, will my child become a disciple, right? Um, sometimes we just got to worry about ourselves first. And, you know, if we do the right thing, the right things will follow. Um, so it's just, it's a story that is really funny to me. But um, so today, what I wanted to talk to you about was... Some of you may be husband-wife, some of you may be single, but leadership in the family, leadership in your household if you're single. Um, number two, you're going to face struggles, but how will you handle those struggles? And then number three, it's not, it's never too late to walk powerfully with your God. So that's what I wanted to talk to you about today. And I'd like you to turn to Romans chapter 6. I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 6, even better. So if you want to turn and follow along, I do have the scripture here, and um, I'm going to read it in just a moment. But back when I was in college, so I was at home. My brother in Georgia actually started to go to a discipling church in Athens, Georgia, at the University of Georgia. And so we were talking on the phone one day, and, you know, he says, hey, I started going to this church. And it was a church like this church, but it was on the campus of the University of Georgia. And, you know, I, I'm a very shy, introverted person at heart. But I just remember life at that time for me as a 19, 20-year-old, I was just thinking, there's got to be more to life than this. It seems like a grasping at the wind, oil in your hand, you know, it just... And did I want to be a follower of the culture rather than something bigger? And so I looked up Church of Christ in Falls Church, Virginia, in the yellow pages. And he says, you know, you ought to go try to, you know, look up a Church of Christ and go. It was a Wednesday night. I didn't know anybody. I drove to this church on my own. Remember, I'm shy and I'm introverted and I'm walking into, I don't know what. But I walked into this class with a lot of people my age, honestly. Um, and if you know Mike Tolliver, yeah. he was in that room. And if you know any of the Beatties or the Beatty brothers, in that room, those people were. So I walked into church and I actually started studying the Bible and started to change my life. But again, I wasn't a baptized disciple until I was like 30 years old in Washington, D.C. But I remember while I was in college and around this time, reading these stories about like Noah and these other people that I'm going to introduce here. And I was very impressed with them because I'm like you. I'm an ordinary person. You say, no, you're an elder. Well, true, but I'm an ordinary person. I just, I work, I work full-time. I'll be working full-time for a while. And, uh, but I love God's church. I love his word. And I've tried to do what he's called me to do. Here in this story, it talks 
as follows. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created, and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Now, you go back to the earlier verses about what the world had become. You know, to me, in a lot of ways, maybe with you, that, you know, today's world can kind of remind you of this, that it's become pretty bad. Um, One could argue it's been that way for years. Is it getting worse? Um, But interestingly here, this is when I first learned this, like God feels what I feel a lot. Like it says his heart was deeply troubled. And I feel that way a lot of times. You you just watch the news, right? You see things that happen and you can be deeply troubled. God was. And God has a heart. He has emotion. And twice in here it says he regretted. God regretted. He regretted what he made. But he found favor in Noah, which was really interesting to me. And so, this is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithful with God, faithfully with God. And that's Genesis 6.19. Things I want to point out is he was righteous, blameless, walked faithfully with God. And my question is, can you do that every day? Do you? Can I do that every day? Because when I read it as a college student, really before I was a true follower of God, that really impacted me. Because I thought, I think I could do that. I don't know that Noah is a lot different than me, though I think he was. And I'm not sure I could have built that ark. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on the earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I am going to put an end to all the people, and the earth, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both of them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide, 30 cubits high, and it actually goes on to describe so much more, like a blueprint. This is what you're going to build. And this is what it looked like. I don't know if you know about this, but this is actually a real-life replica in Kentucky that somebody built of the ark. Based on what we know, this is how big it was. This is similar to what it would have looked like. And Noah was called to build this, I hope not by himself, but it took him 50 to 70 years, scholars think, because of the timeline of his age, and then when the earth was flooded, probably 50 to 70 years to build this. And so God had found someone, Noah, to do this. And don't forget that in this story, when the ark was ready, 40 days and 40 nights it rained. Do you remember earlier this year? Yeah. Now, I've been here 25 years. It's never rained like that here. Matter of fact, when the first year I moved here in 1995, I called back home because I said, I moved here and it hasn't rained a drop in eight months. Like, it was just incredible to me because I was from back east and it rained every three days. So, this winter, remember some of those days it rained... Four or five days in a row, which you rarely see. Think about if it was raining 40 days, 40 nights. And then Noah takes all these animals and his family into the ark. And they spend 150 days in that boat with all these animals, smelly animals. For five months, they do that. 
In Genesis 6.22, it says, Noah did everything just as God had commanded him. I think that's impressive. Um, a, a brother last week asked me to get together with him about his teenage son, who's getting older, much like kind of the pattern Nathan went through, and he studying on and off, and he was concerned. There were some things going on, but still going to church and that type of thing. Right. And, um, you know, he actually started crying. And um, he wasn't giving up hope at all, but there was just some troubling things. And he was hurt to see what his son was going through. And, you know, what I realized was this guy was trying too much to control everything. Because back in the day when Nathan, for many years, or seems like most of the time, was not studying, um, I just didn't freak out. You know, I just believed in God. I believed in him, Nathan. And I just felt like sometimes you just got to let things go their course. And these kids have to find their own way. They just do. And they need to have their own faith. So in the back of my mind, I'm always thinking, I just want Nathan to have his own faith. Not mine. I want him to have his own through the Bible, his own conviction. And he was a kingdom kid. And um, to be honest, according to him and other people I've talked to, that's tough. It can be tough. Because the kids can feel like all eyes are on them to get baptized, right? And I don't want Nathan to feel that from his parents. So sometimes I had to tell my wife, we just need, you know, we're backing off. We don't, we don't need to, he's with good people. He's with people in the church. They're trying to help him. Great people. And he's going to have to find his own way. And I remember my wife being very nervous. Because remember, this didn't happen for him until he was 19. You know, with Zachary, when he was 13, came home from one of the teen camps. He's like, I've got to study now. I don't want to go to hell. I actually want to go to heaven. And I want to study now. And, uh, you know, we kind of had to hold him off. Because I felt like, yeah, you probably should experience a little bit more. He became... A Christian when he was 16. Always had a tender, tender heart. Very responsive. A lot different than Nathan. But I just, people ask me, I just never freaked out. I just kind of stayed the course. And so what I told this father, this was my observation after talking with him about 45 minutes or an hour. You are doing everything right. You're doing everything you need to do. What did I mean? He's going to church, the Father, because he wants to. He's been serving for years, serving a lot, because he wants to. He sees the need. He has quiet times. He's been faithful to his wife. He's an amazing guy. I said, you're doing everything you can. You're doing everything you need to. You don't need to do more. What you need to understand is, you're not going to be able to control him at this age. You're only going to be able to influence him some. And so you're just going to have to realize you can't control everything. And so that's what I went through, what went through with Nathan as well. In 2 Corinthians 5.9, I don't have it here, but if you go back and read that, if you want a dis distillation of how you should be, what you should think, and how you should live, it's in this little piece of scripture that's in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 9. And so the minister in D.C., when I was doing really bad at one point in my life, all kinds of sin in my life, in my marriage, my fault, and I'm in the bottom of the barrel looking up, literally, you know, he read me the scripture. And what the scripture ends up saying is, after Paul's talking about this longing to go to heaven, gee, do I want to be on earth? Well, it's better I'm, for me if I'm in heaven, but probably better I'm on, in earth right now, but I want to be with the Lord. He says, so we make it our goal to please him. It's as simple as that. If you want to know what you need to do as a parent, that's what you do. 
you have this, your own relationship with God, and you make it your goal to please him. There's a, a couple other guys. Um, then the Lord said to Satan, this is in Job. Have you considered my servant Job? This is after Satan went with the angels to visit with God. And God's like, what have you been doing, Satan? And he says, eh, you know, I've been wandering around. God says, eh, interesting. Have you noticed Job? He's amazing. And so I'll pick it up here. Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. And he still maintains his integrity, though you incited me against him to ruin him without any reason. Do you see some similarities there? Blameless, upright, fears God, shuns evil. Enoch. Just a few quick verses in Genesis chapter 5, verse 21. This guy's my hero. He was my hero years ago. Why? I'll tell you why. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. After he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked faithfully with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Although Enoch lived a total of 365 years, Enoch walked faithfully with God. And then he was no more because God took him away. So way decades ago, I said to myself, this is what I want to be like. I just want to be Enoch. And you know, Enoch was probably a regular guy, but he was walking faithfully with his God. And he was walking with him. God was walking with him. And it's not that complicated. It's not that difficult. Now you might be thinking... Can I be blameless? And we're going to look at that word in more detail in a minute. But I, this, is, this guy's always been my hero. More than Noah, though there were similarities with Noah. More than Job, but Job is amazing. But this Enoch guy, walking with God, then he was no more. That's what I want my life to be. My question for you is, how are you building your house? How are you building your life? Further in Job, you know the story, most of you. Um, you know, God had said to Satan, or Satan had asked God, you know, look, if I take away all Job has, because he was rich, rich. He had sons and daughters, a wife. He had a lot of property, a lot of cattle. He had a lot of animals. And um, very quickly, all that was gone in one day. These raiders came down, took all his possessions, and then his house blew down. His sons and daughters were in the house. They all died. And so this is, this is what he says. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. I mean, think about that. We may not even lose everything the way Job did. Because him and his wife lost their kids, all of them, in one day. He lost all his possessions, and he was a rich man in one day. And this is his response. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. My question for you is, are you preparing yourself for the difficult, difficult times. Now some of you, like me, have already been through difficult times. Now, that wasn't enough. Satan went back to God and said, okay, he's still faithful to you, but you know what? If I strike him, if I make him miserable, if I make him suffer, he'll disown you. And so God let him do that. He said, just don't take his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. His wife said to him, Are you still maintaining your integrity 
curse God and die. He replied, you are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? So there's a lot in here. So about eight years ago, uh, Denise was not feeling well. And she went in to see the doctor a number of times and ended up finding out she had a rare form of leukemia, blood leukemia, that was very deadly. And she was like, I would say, in the fourth stage. It was caught very late. And, um, you know, I just... I remember that time very vividly because my wife was probably months, short months, away from dying. That's how it had gone undetected, found late, and she was probably going to die. She was supposed to die. So, as you know, she was introduced earlier. She's still here. So, uh, but to tell the story, um, you know, she had to go through... um, repeated chemo treatments, and that even wasn't going to save her. What she needed was a stem cell transplant, and even that doesn't save you. So um, where she needed to get this done was at City of Hope. Well, our insurance company didn't, you know, accept City of Hope. Somehow, by the grace of God, and with my mother-in-law and Denise, she, they got themselves, she got into City of Hope. It's a long story. But the insurance company said, absolutely not. And they didn't really, it seemed, care if she was going to die or not. But she went to City of Hope. But before that, Denise was so ill that I came home one day, And she had already visited or had someone come to the home about going into hospice, which is your next step to just saying, you know what, I'm kind of done and I die now. And so this is where she was going. And um, part of what it was, was the chemo treatments with different poisons being pumped into her body was really bad. It was not making her feel good. And she didn't feel like she could do this for much longer. I remember um, saying, okay, we're going to do whatever you want. Um, But I did call a family meeting, which was her mother and her two sisters, and had them come in and meet with me and sit down and talk with Denise. And so, kind of, we had kind of convinced her that you know, there's a chance you can get healed. She had to do more chemo treatments that were intense to get her blood to a point where they can get her into City of Hope and then do this transplant. Well, the best transplant you can get is someone with like blood. Her sisters didn't match. She had to do an auto transplant. So the first doctor we had said, you know, we said, how long might she have to live? And he said, you know, not that long. I mean, if, if you're really lucky, and he was a positive doctor. He was very, he's very positive. Um, not like all doctors. But he said, you know, maybe four years. We know of one gentleman, he's on his seventh year now, but just that's the only one they knew of. Um, but it just wasn't long. Then right before she was going to get this treatment, she got into City of Hope. She went through the final chemo treatment, even though she didn't want to. And that doctor, she had a change in doctors right as she was going into getting ready to do the procedure. And uh, he said, you know, you need to just expect to get 16 months of life after this treatment. 16 months. So that was eight years ago. And uh, obviously she's eclipsed that. But any time, she could become sick again. Um, at any time, I could walk th- across the street and get hit by a car. You know, I could get shot somewhere. She can get shot somewhere. My kids can get killed. I'm going back to Job. And just how Job was, you know, I could have walked in, said to my wife, you should just curse God and die at that point. 
But that's never how I felt. I didn't feel like God was letting me down. I didn't feel like God was letting her down. And so I didn't do this, but I understand Job's wife because she lost all her kids. They lost all their possessions. Now her husband was on a ash heap in terrible, terrible condition. And so I get it, what she said. Okay, I haven't had something maybe that bad happen to me. But I know at any time, life can change. The question is, how are you building your life? How are you building your house? And when did you start doing that? Because for me, I tried to start, because my life was pretty messed up. I started trying to do that when I was in my early 20s. And of course, I became a baptized disciple when I was 30. And then all this stuff happened. And I, I can tell you that the road has been long for me and for Denise with Zachary. I don't think we'd change anything. He's amazing. Um, he's such a great kid. And he won. I think if he had a choice, he wouldn't choose to have his hearing. He went to college. He graduated with a BA. And then he got his master's degree. And now he works at CSUN. Um, you know, very proud of him. He's just done amazing. And he's a, a great Christian disciple man. You know, he's just fantastic. But I just remember that I, I didn't feel like God is out there working against me. Even if I lose my wife. I remember being on the phone one time during these very terrible times with Denise, with Jerry Sugarman. And I said, Jerry, you know... This could happen. And uh, I don't know how, kind of how I'm doing. I'm trying to figure out how to go from here. And I remember something he told me that I'll always remember. He said, you know, Greg, this here on earth is not our goal. It's just, it's not our goal. Our home is in heaven. This is not our home. That's exactly what he said. And, you know, I really understood that. I felt that, and it was really good hearing it from somebody else. Yeah. That, and Jerry had gone through cancer similar to Denise's. He almost died. He was given yeah. one year to live. Jerry's still here. Yeah. I don't know why my wife is still here. She goes into the doctor. She still had to go in quarterly. They take her blood test. Now it's twice a year. They look at her, and they just kind of in amazement. They're like, I don't know. But she could fall ill tomorrow. Again, I could, something could happen to me. These things happen in life. Now, when you look at these men, you saw words like blameless. So that word in Hebrew is the word taman, which some people also um, translate as perfect. But its basic meaning, taman, Hebrew, is really complete or entire. Because you know that scripture in Matthew chapter 5? Be ye perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And I read that when I was in my 20s, and I'm like, give me a break. Really? Like, how am I supposed to do that? Well, we're going to look at that word that's used in the New Testament in a minute. But, you know, I didn't want that to discourage you like Noah's blameless. Enoch walked faithfully with God. Job was blameless. It doesn't mean they were perfect, but it meant they were complete and entire. As without fault, flaw, or defect. So, other words to translate that Hebrew word, tamen, is whole, full, finished, well-rounded, wholehearted, balanced, Sound, sincere, or innocent. So everyone in this room can do that. Yeah. You know? And you're not, you're not going to be absolutely perfect. Only Jesus was. Right. Even Noah wasn't perfect. Right. This was Noah. This was Job. Uh-huh. They were more complete. And they stood, I think, head and shoulders above so many other people in the world at that time. That's why God picked Noah out to build the ark and take his family and be saved because of it. 
So in the New Testament, this concept of perfection, it's found in the Greek word teleos, which is there in Matthew 5, verse 48. Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. The use of teleos suggests that a Christian be completely committed to living God's way of life, maturing in it until he can perform the duties God entrusts to him now and in his church. Teleos is well translated as mature, and that's what's used in 1 Corinthians 2.6 and Hebrews 5.14, or rendered full of age. See, these things aren't impossible for God's people. And God gives us grace. He gives us his Holy Spirit that we can be these kind of people. You know, um, you could be thinking, well, I've been through a lot. Well, I'm old. I'm probably older than all of you. Um, But, you know, you just don't stop. You never give up. It's never too late. Um, I remember, some of you are old enough to remember, when George Foreman used to watch him when I was a kid, beat the daylights out of people. Um, When he was 40 years old, do you remember he went back into the ring and he fought? I don't remember whether he won or not. doesn't matter. Because I was just like, this is awesome. I'm 40, he's 40, and he's going fighting heavyweights, guys 10, 15 years younger than him, and he's going fighting these guys at 40 years old. When I was 40 years old, I ran the marathon for the first time. I'm like, 40, no big deal. 45, ran it again. And now I'm older, but you know, if we stop, if these guys stopped, the people in the Bible who got really old, they would have done these things. Noah wouldn't have built the ark. He was 500 years old. And he, I don't know how he did it. Must have had a lot of help, but he built the ark. Remember Abraham and Sarah? They would not have had Isaac. They didn't believe it. What 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 Abraham said? I'm too old. We're too old. But if they stopped, they wouldn't have Isaac. Moses. What did Moses say? I'm not your guy. Hey, when they came and asked me about being an elder, I'm like, I'm looking over my shoulder, a little like, who are they talking to? Um, that's not something years ago I really aspired to. I never really thought about it. It wasn't out of the question, but it wasn't like something I was really working towards until Jerry Sugarman came and talked to me. And then we had to talk through a lot of stuff because you need to aspire to that. Um, And there's a lot of other things that you need to be willing to do. And, um, you know, I just, I thought of Moses. I'm not the guy. I don't speak well. Joshua would not have led the Israelites into Canaan. Caleb would would have not possessed his mountain. Paul would have not made his second and third missionary journeys. Imagine that. We'd be missing a lot of books out of the New Testament. So my, my admonishment to you is that it's not, it's just not too late. It's never too late. But my question again is, today... How are you building your house? Have you started building your house the right way before? Before this. But it's not too late to start. The wisdom of Jesus. Matthew chapter 7. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. So I haven't told you all of my hardships. I've told you a couple big ones. Um, They had a big effect on my life. But the reason I didn't walk over to my wife and say, you know, you just need to curse God and die, is because I had prepared for this before. I had tried to walk like Noah and Enoch, and I I just, 
I just tried to do what God said. Because I feel like I love God. That's always something I've got to work on. Uh, just loving Him more and understanding His love for me. But I love God's Word. I love His church. And so I had worked really hard just on my own life. Not my wife's. Not even my kids, necessarily, at that time. I worked on my own life. And I wasn't perfect. My wife will tell you that. But I worked hard on building this house, this foundation he's talking about. And if you notice, it talks about in the past tense. Like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down. The winds blew against that house. These past tense verbs. So, I don't want you to be discouraged if, like me, years ago, you didn't start preparing. Because when I hit the really hard times, I was there for my wife. I think that was a a point where I had to pick her up and carry her. Um, And that's okay. That's, you know, and we got through that. With Zachary, with Nathan, you'll face these times, but, you know, a lot of times it's in kids' kingdom, you hear about this verse, but this verse is for me. This verse is for us. This is how we're supposed to live. And do not be faint-hearted. Do not feel like you can't be like Enoch, or even Noah, or Job. Because you can't. Because I got that perfect for you out of the way. I got the blameless out of the way. Yes, you need to absolutely 100% of your heart to do the right thing. But you can be complete. You can be wholehearted. You can be innocent. Jesus has already done a lot of the work for you. He just has. You just got to follow him. So I hope this has been helpful to you. And I hope you'll take that with you and maybe work some of these scriptures into your quiet times to have it encourage your life. Thank you for letting me speak.